Well, we're going to have a second Bible reading, and uh, Sam is going to read that. But before Sam comes, I want to just say, great to see Gwen and uh, Maureen back from their trip overseas. I hope you had a great time as well, and uh, the family. Thanks. Good morning. The second Bible reading today is taken from Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 and 20. You can find under your Bible, you can take out in front of you, it's in the page of 1,221. 1,221. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I played with you, brothers and sisters. Become like me. For I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a child to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have turned out your eyes and given them to me. How I now become your enemy by telling you the truth. These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I'm perplexed about you. This is the word of God. Thank you, uh, Sam. Well, friends, let's uh, ask God for his blessings as we look at his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your word. Uh, we pray that you give us an understanding of this word, that we'll be able to apply it in our hearts and lives. It is your word. And pray that your word will do his work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, if you are visiting with us this morning and uh, you're wondering where we are in terms of our preaching plan today, we are continuing our series on the book of Galatians. It's been an interesting book to work from. It's been a challenging section. There, are, there has been some challenging sections as well in uh, this book, but I trust that as we continue to plow through this book, we will see the wonderful doctrines of grace, of justification, of all of these things that we have, the great reformed themes that we have in this book. And in our evening services, we're working through Romans. So we got two um, formed messages that's coming through all the time in this big year of the Reformation, celebration of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Well, today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through to 20, and I trust that you keep your Bibles open to this chapter. 
Well, friends, last Sunday, uh, we looked at Galatians 4, 1 to 7, where we looked at the privilege of being adopted as a child of God, to be adopted by God. Paul spoke of the movement from slavery to sonship through adoption by God. To be adopted by God is an act totally initiated by God himself by his grace alone. To be adopted by God is to belong to him as his son or his daughter. To be adopted by God means that we can come to God crying out, Abba, Father, which also means that we have direct access into the very presence of God anytime, anywhere. We can come right into the presence of our God, crying out, our dearest Father, our intimate Father. To be adopted by God then is to belong to his family. To be adopted by God is to have our final inheritance as his adopted children in eternity with him and all things are ours in Christ. We have that in assurance in the scriptures. So such are the immense blessings to be a child of God. We who were enemies of God are made the sons of God and daughters of God only because the Son of God was set apart to be regarded as the enemy. Jesus was made a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham would come on the Gentiles. That's us, Galatians 3.14. And the blessing in which God says, you are now mine. And the Spirit then takes this work of Jesus, applies it into our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. What a privilege that is, yeah? What a privilege. All of this is made possible by the Son of God, born of a woman. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So we have seen, friends, that we inherit all the promises of God, both Jews and Gentiles, are recipients of every promise that God has given to us. We sang this morning the second hymn. What was that? You haven't forgotten it, right? Standing on the promises of God. Right? Standing, standing, standing on the promises of There you go. God my Savior, right? What a blessing that is. Now, that was not bad rendition, wasn't it? Right? All these song leaders, you better be aware, you know, I might be leading the singing soon. Terrible. No, it's all okay. Right? Standing on the promises of God. So Gentiles and Jews who are in Christ are sons and daughters of God, all who trust in Christ. So converted and saved Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ, all inherit the promises of God in Christ, salvation and adoption. And so adoption is the work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Spirit has been sent into our hearts. Just want to touch on that for a moment. You see, now, of course, we must have doctrine. It is so important to be theologically sharp, correct? It is so important to be able to understand the Word of God. It is so important that we understand the Scriptures. But, friends, there is more to it as well as we see here in this passage. I'm just 
reiterating what we saw quickly last week. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. You see what we have here is the connection between the, heart, between the head, the knowledge, and the heart. All right? It's one thing to have all the head knowledge. I can say all the Bible verses without any issues. I've memorized lots of scripture. Or praise God for that. I know the Bible inside out. But what about the connection from year to year? Right? And so what we have here, knowledge, must be applied by the Spirit of God in the heart. Likewise, we can have all the things of the heart and not have the knowledge of the word. And then we will be driven by simply emotionalism. But to have both is an understanding that the knowledge that God gives to us from the scriptures which we have then and through the spirit of God in the heart that we are moved both by the head and by the heart to love and to serve and to follow Christ. John Calvin said this. That's uh, Don't worry about the Latin phrase there or Latin scholars. You can. He says this, My heart... I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. My heart, I offer to you, O Lord. That was his motto. You see, this was Calvin's personal emblem. And his motto was a picture of a flaming heart held up in a hand with this inscription. My heart, I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. What a prayer, right? And so today, as we continue to work through this book, we see in Galatians 4, 8 to 20, a challenging passage, a very encouraging passage, where we see the heart of a pastor. We see the cry of the Apostle Paul for his people. And there is a cry that goes here, don't turn back. That's the message title for us today. Don't turn back. Because it's often easy for us to turn back. It's often easy for us to look back and to look back and to say, Oh, what was life like before I came to know God? Was that better for me? Or where am I now today? So let's look at your text here. Verses 8 through to 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, very interesting mix of words here, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once, you, once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You see, the Galatians, by God's grace and by the Spirit, was able to call God Abba Father. They had moved from slavery to sonship. But now it seems that they were in danger of going back to slavery. By slavery, I mean going back to put themselves to follow the teachings of the false teachers, which means Christ plus works. Now, friends, it is so simple for us to fall into that trap, right? It is so simple. I'll give you an example. I haven't done my devotions this morning, perhaps. And so you think, well, God's going to be angry with me. 
I remember a senior minister once saying that he was playing golf now. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a great golfer from the U.S. And his friend was playing golf with him as well. And he, golfers will know, but you need to have the swing, the right swing. And his friend, while he was playing, I was, he, he, he took the mark and he, was, he, he hit this ball. But the ball went and struck a branch. And the ball just dropped. And immediately this guy said, just as well I did my devotions because otherwise the ball would have landed on the road. <laughs> you see how simple, how easy it is for us to fall into the trap of some kind of legal, I have done this, so God now has done this for me. He has returned the favor. Now I'm not saying we ought not to read our Bibles. That's not what I'm saying at all. Of course we read our word. But you see what I mean. We can easily fall into that trap, can't we? So they had moved, as it were, from slavery to, 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 they had moved from slavery to sonship. But it seems that they want to go back. And so Paul is so concerned about them slipping back into their old bondage and coming into slavery of the old ways that he now reminds them of what they were about before they came to know God. There was a time in their lives that they did not know God. Verse 8. Have a look at that text, friends, where we see in this, in this passage. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by nature who are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back? Just think for a moment, friends, if you're a Christian here this morning. Think about what your life was before you became a Christian. What was it like? What was your life like, friends, before you came to know God? You see, I knew nothing about God. I've told you this in the past. I've never been to a Sunday school in my life. Never been to a youth group. All you young people, yeah, what a blessing. Eh? You can go to youth group and you have a church that teaches the Bible. Yeah. I had no idea about it. I occasionally went to church to please my mom because I thought that's the right thing to do. Other times I was in the temple. Actually, most times. And I was converted by the grace of God, I said this once, in, in a bio lab while I was dissecting animals. I mean, th that is just weird, right? And it was at that place, one of my friends, my colleagues, started sharing the gospel with me. And I'm cutting this, this thing, I won't say what I was doing. And the smell of formalin and everything's out there, terrible. And I was, I was converted in that lab. It was as if like, Today, yesterday. Amazing. But before I knew God, I just lived my life any old way I wanted. I was a party guy. I was out every Friday, Saturday. My poor parents, they were stressed out. One time I was coming home, 11, 12, no, no cars to drive, my bus and everything else. You see, God, you think about your own story, friends, this morning prior to your conversion. What was it like for you? You see, we did not know God. This is the story of all of us prior to our conversion. We did not know him until in his grace he made himself known to you. Correct? All right? That's the point here. You see, in the churches in Galatia, there were some who had come from a Jewish religion. They had come out of Judaism. 
The Gentile Galatians, the non-Jews, who had come out of a Greek religious background had followed Greek and Roman religions, which had the entire pantheon of gods and goddesses. Some of the gods were Zeus, Neptune, Mercury, the Aphrodite, were some of these gods that they followed. The Galatians lived and followed these gods, for they did not know the living God. But look at verse 9, just two words in verse 9a. The transition, friends, the transition is, but now. Do you see that? All right? That you have come to know God. See that transition. You were once this way. You were once living that way without knowing God. But now, but now, you have come to know God. You have come, or rather, I like this here, Rather, to be made, to be known by God. How's that, eh? That's what we see, the transition. But now the past has gone. But now something has happened. Has it happened in your life? How do you see the past and how do you see yourself now? Do you see the God who has revealed himself to you? And what does that mean then, friends, to you this morning. I'll come to that in a moment. The Galatians, through the grace of God, heard the gospel preached and came to know God. And so they became Christians. And so, friends, we are aware that the, when the Bible uses the word know, it means more than just being aware of particular facts. It's more than just knowing things about God. When the Bible uses this word know, it is an affectionate term. It is more than intellectual. To know in the scriptural understanding of this word is to know him in this context intimately. It is knowing the love of God. It is knowing the passion of God for you. It, you see, it is not a philosophical knowing. This is not some kind of a philosophical understanding of who, who God is. This is a personal knowledge of the God who has made the heavens and the earth and the God who keeps your heart beating even right now. Yes? Your heart is pumping? Right? And God, absolutely, right? And God is given to us this very moment, that breath of life. This God, who has made the heavens and the earth, is a God now who has made himself known to you and who has made himself known to me. And so, friends, what a transformation is that. I, I mean, I, I, I can't work it out still. Can you ever fathom the mind of God? No. And this God has called you and made himself known to you. How is that for a blessing? Right? You see, uh, one writer puts it this way. Christianity is not a matter of what we know. It is a matter of whom we know. And so this morning, Christianity is about knowing God. It is knowing this God who has spoken to us in his word and knowing him through his son, Jesus Christ. So you can know all the facts about God without ever truly knowing him personally. And what a danger that is, friends. What a danger that is. We can be in Bible study groups. We can be in our growth groups. You can be in our youth groups. You can be in a Christian home. You can know all about the scriptures and not know him. You missed the mark, right? So, 
Do you know him this morning? The Galatians had come to know this God who is unlike the false gods. The God of the Bible, as we read, is the morally righteous God. He's, the, he's perfect in his goodness. He's perfect in his knowledge. He's perfect in his power. He is light and in him there is no darkness. He is also the personal God who is connected with the lives of his people. This is our God. I'm working through my personal life, my devotions on 1 Samuel chapter 2. I was reading 1 Samuel chapter 5 this morning. You know, 1 Samuel... What do we see there, friends? You see the Philistines, when they got the ark of the Lord, right? They said, take this ark away. Remember that? They brought the ark to the Philistine place and the false god, Dagon. The people got up in the morning, what happened to Dagon? Huh? He's fallen down before the ark. The next morning they got up. Again, Dagon's down. So remember, this is quite incredible. Here's the, the, the Ark of the Covenant reminding who God is, the living God. You have this false god, Dagon, there. The Ark is there. The Philistines worship the Dagon, the God. They get up the next morning, Dagon's on the face down. This is funny. Next day morning, they get up again, Dagon's down. After that, they get up the next time. What do they see? Dagon's hands are gone, his feet are gone, everything's gone, just his trunks there. What do they say? Oh, please, take this ark back. What are we to do with this ark? This is the God of Israel. Take the ark away. Because the living God is the true God. All other gods will be like that God. Boom, boom, boom. They will fall on their faces. So friends, if you know this God, then you know the living God. If you know this God of the scriptures, then you know the true God. Yes? And if you know this true God, then you are his child through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, adopted into his family. And what a world we live in today. I was reading an excellent article this last, actually on Saturday, uh, from Paul Kelly. Anyone gets the Australian newspaper here? <laughs> Some of you do. Well done. Look. In that article, he talks about the decline of Christianity in Australia. 52% now say that they are Christian as opposed to 88%, 1966, I think, of memory. The declension of Christianity. And, and he makes the point. You see, this, this, this turning away from Christianity, he says, can have incredible implications for this country. And so we have a left field people who put everything Christian down, down, down. But friends, the more you turn your backs on God, the more the consequences there will be. You see, we need to be praying that people will come to know the living God in Australia. Yeah? Are you praying with me for that? Said God can do a miracle in this land. Don't you think so? He can do a miracle in this land and sweep over this nation. Just like that. And bring people to a saving knowledge of him. Knowing the living God. So God has set his love on them and God has set his love on us. We deserve nothing from him but by his grace and his mercy he has set his love on the Galatians and also on us and therefore we are known by God we are known by him 
And so what does it mean, friends, for you and me to be known by God? It means, friends, that we have a relationship with him. It means that we have been justified and made right with him. It means we are adopted into his family. It means that we can cry to God our Father. J.I. Packer put it this way. He said, uh, he said this, Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. I don't know what kind of issues you are facing in your life today. You don't know what kind of issues I'm facing in my life. But we all do have something that concerns us. Yeah? We all have our individual burdens and struggles in life. But the more, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord because our God, we put our trust in Him. Are you this morning? See, if this is the case, friends, if you know God and are known by Him, then the question for us is, what are we doing with our lives in response to His grace? To you and to me. What are you doing? How are we living for him? Do we just say to God, thank you, thank you, thank you for all your blessings. Oh my Lord, thank you. You are so good to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then you just stay there. No service. No ministry for him. No heart for him. But you take everything from him. And you say, thank you. Is that the way? What should be our response, friends? Promptly and sincerely, I give my heart to you. You see what happens when we start focusing on our own problems all the time, we make mountains out of molehills. Everything becomes a ben-her, a big issue. A small problem becomes massive. And you can't even move because you're stuck there in that place. But to know God is to understand that your problems are in the hands of God. You don't stay there, friends. You keep moving. All of us have issues in our lives. I have aging parents. I saw them yesterday. I had lunch with them. I often think about them. I'm the only child, so they have no one else apart from my family. I go and see them. I have lunch with them. I see them aging. I come back home sometimes. I say to Rose, you know... I feel for what they're going through in their lives. Then do I stop my work, my Christian ministry and say, well, I've got aging parents. I can't do anything now for you, God. I don't know. No. You see, last week we were talking about ministers retiring. Uh, when the ministers, when the boys club, like some people say, meet, we talk lots of things, all right? In our presbytery, we have some ministers who have already uh, retired, and some retiring. So we got a few vacancies in the Presbyterian Melbourne East. And so the conversation began, do ministers retire? Do they? And then I changed the conversation and said, well, I'll put the question to you. Do Christians retire? What do you think, friends? Do you retire being a Christian? I'm taking time out now, Lord. <laughs> no, we don't. Right? We don't retire. I want to serve God until he gives me good health and strength, I don't know for how long. Whether I'm here or wherever, 
I am. I, my prayer is until you give me my final breath, Lord. As a Christian, I'm not a minister. I'm as a Christian. I'm first a Christian. I will serve you until my dying day because of who you are and what you have done and your grace to me. And so you need to ask yourself the question, if this God has knows, knows me and I know him, then what am I doing with my life? Yeah? Are you living the purpose for which God has created you for? Are you? You see, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? Paul gives an incredible theological treatise, 1 to 11. And he says, therefore, in view of God's mercies, anyone. You know the text? Romans 1, 12, 1 and 2. In view of God's mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is pleasing and acceptable to God. Not a dead sacrifice, right? A living sacrifice. Because when we die, that's it, friends. These lips will not move anymore. These hands will not move anymore. Be stone cold dead. You see, friends, Paul is saying, you are known by God. So how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you once were before? You see, that's the danger of turning back to the elementary principles of this world. That is, to the weak principles of this world. I think to the, this is to turn back to your pre-conversion state, as it were. Don't go back from freedom and sonship to slavery. It is like someone who has been in prison and has been released from prison, but somehow wants to get back into prison. Does that make sense? <laughs> Someone said to me once, well, prison for some people is the place to be because they get well fed there, and, and that is sad. That is really sad. I mean, in Australian prisons, you read recently, the juvenile prisons, they've been delivered pizzas, right? The pizza boy was there. Who is paying for the pizzas, friends? From us, from our tax. <laughs> now, I mean, good on them. They need to be looked after and all of that and properly cared for. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But once you're in there, you don't want to go back in there when you're released. And so Paul is saying, when you're, it's like you're in prison and now you want to go back into prison. I can't get this. What's going on with you? You see, in Colossians, we read this, don't we? Colossians 2, 14, 16, 17. I canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and, and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So don't go back to those things because that is legalism, friends. Uh, Jerry Bridges, in his book, uh, The Great Exchange, makes this, uh, makes this point. Legalism occurs wherever a sinner attempts to earn God's favor by his or her personal righteousness instead of by Christ-transferred righteousness. Legalism demeans the value of Christ's work of atonement by requiring sinners to perform activities that are man-centered and, in essence, man-exalting. So, do you want to go back in bondage? No. <laughs> No, right? Don't turn back. And then Paul says here, keep moving. He says, uh, 
it seems like verses 11 to, uh, to 15, it seems Paul is saying, my pastoral care for you, Galatians, is a pastoral personal approach. He has labored in vain, Paul is saying. It is as if I have labored, labored in vain. You see, ministry is tough. Pastoral ministry is extremely challenging, but it's also extremely rewarding. Ask any minister, and he will say that's both the joys of the ministry and there's also the challenges. All right? And ministry can be a lonely place to be in. Because everyone has 150 expectations of their minister. If the sermon is too long, oh man, that guy doesn't stop talking for a long time. If the sermon's too short, well, he has not done his work so much this past week. I doubt I'm going to get that from you if I do a five-minute sermon. Right? That'd be nice. <laughs> I get up here and say a few words and whoop, they're finished. You think, Chris, what on earth have you been doing this past week? This, you, you see what I'm saying? And, but, but it's also extremely rewarding. And Paul has had a rewarding time with the Galatians. He has shared the gospel with them. And now he's saying, what are you doing to me? Paul is saying. See, you, for, look at verse 12. Brothers, I entreat to become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you. You see, he calls them brothers, and later he calls them little children. Become as I am. This is not Paul being arrogant. He's saying, you don't have to go back into circumcision and all that. Look at me. I am following Christ. So, he says, come here. And then Paul says this, he says, I preach this gospel because of a bodily ailment. Now, what was this ailment? We don't know. Some people say he had malaria. Others say Paul suffered a particular eye problem, right? An eye disease. And uh, so if an, if an ophthalmologist was there who could have performed an eye transplant, then the Galatians would have provided a donor to Paul out of compassion. I'm not sure whether that can be done, but certainly... My daughter says no, so it seems all right, right? But the point is, if they could have given a donation, donated their eye, they said, we would have done that for you, Paul. But in spite of his illness, they didn't treat him with contempt or scorn, right? They received him as like they received Jesus. You see, and then in verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness or what has become of your joy, you see, friends, we can't lose our salvation, but we can lose the joy of our salvation. How? By legalism and sin. Have you got the joy of the Lord of salvation in you this morning? Or do you want to go back into the prison? Well, let's keep going. And then Paul says, verse 16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? By telling you the truth. You see, a gospel minister must tell the truth. There is no other way for a minister to escape anything else. And notice the goal of the false teachers. They were wanting to take these people back. 17, 18. And then these false teachers, the Judaizers, wanted the Galatian Christians to become Jews so that they can be good Christians, resulting in division in the church. And verses 19 and 20, as we move on. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. A pastor's heart, friends, his care for these people. He's saying my care is like the original uh, birthing of a baby. Now mothers here, right? That must be a painful 
experience, but also a joyful one. I think us blokes have no idea what a woman would go through in childbirth. <laughs> no idea. I couldn't be there for the birth of our two girls because in Sri Lanka they don't allow you to go into the labor room. So I had no idea. But when Sean was born, I was in the Terang Hospital in, 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 uh, in country Victoria and I was there and I thought, man, all the pain, the agony of a childbirth. And here we see, friends, Paul is saying here, this is the agony that I have. I'm perplexed in this whole thing. His, his original pain of birth in them has returned. Now, and yet Paul is using this image, the anguish of childbirth. And like a frustrated parent, Paul is perplexed at what is going on with the Galatians. And then he says in verse 19, My little children for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Friends, that is it, friends. John Calvin put it this way. This is a remarkable passage on the efficacy of the ministry. If ministers wish to be something, let them labor to form Christ and not themselves. Right? Here he is, at, as it were, worn out with grief and stops mid-sentence. Friends, this church, ministers will come and go, Right? By God's grace, next year I'll be 15 years here. John's, I think, rocked up nearly five years. You see what I'm saying? What we have to do here, friends, a minister is not drawing attention to me or anyone else here. The minister's task is to what? Point people to whom? To whom? To Christ. That's his response. A remarkable passage of efficacy of the ministry. If ministers wish to be something, let them labor to form Christ so that you can go out of this place and say, St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church is preaching Christ. Yes? And this church is preaching the word of God. And our prayer for you, sincere prayer for you, I'm telling you sincerely from my heart is that you as a congregation and we together will grow to form more and more of Jesus in our lives. Yes? That's what it is. So what does this mean, friends, for you? That's the goal here. What a, what, what a goal for every parent here this morning. Let me talk to parents. To see by God's grace Christ formed in our young children. This does not just happen, does it? Like that, parenting? Well, it's a wonderful blessing to be a parent. We thank God for our children. But we also need to teach them the word of God. Read the scriptures. Pray with your children. I mean, last night I was sitting with Rose. She was doing a test on, uh, on all this child care and uh, the implications of legal requirements to be a, a kindergarten teacher looking after kids, and she said, what are social issues we have in our society today, Chris? The parents do not even know and understand what's going on in the lives of their children. And even Christian parents like us, friends, you know, what is our role to see our children that Christ is formed in them, yes or no? What is the greatest joy of any parent here this morning? That the child gets 99.95? I mean, that's a great thing. I'm not saying no to it. Please don't get me wrong. I praise God. If you're a student, you study well. Right? What is the greatest joy of a parent? 
My greatest joy, our greatest joy is to see, any parent should see, their children walking in Christ, that Christ is formed in them. Yes? Yeah. That should be our prayer. What about husbands and wives here this morning, friends? How does Christ shape you as a husband or a wife this morning? How do we relate to each other in our marriage? How is Christ shaping your marriage? <laughs> right? Is he in the center there? Or is he on the outer? You see, sometimes you go to people's homes and you say, Christ is the, you see this on the wall, right? Christ is the head of this house, the unseen guest in, in this room or something like that, right? You know what I'm saying. Is he actually in the marriage? Is Christ forming you in your marriage? What about you as a young person this morning? How about us as individuals? You see, uh, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. It's Christ-likeness, friends, to become more and more of understanding this Savior Jesus, that he died for you, he died for me, that my life is lived for him with all my imperfection. We prayed this morning before we came. The elders are witness to that. I've said, Lord, use us. I said, use me, weak, frail, and fragile human being like me. I can't do it by myself. I can't lead a congregation without your strength. See, Christ-likeness. Pray that Christ be formed in you continuously. We are more and more like Jesus because then your life will be lived not for our glory but for the glory of God. And living for the glory of God is the best thing ever, friends. Yes? Because then your life is aligned in God's pathway with you. So, as we conclude, pray that Christ be formed in us more and more by loving him by prayer, by reading of his word, by meeting with God's people, by serving him. So when we conclude, as we conclude this morning, don't turn back. Don't turn back to their previous ways. It will get you nowhere. The temptation is to look back. See, maybe there's someone here who has drifted. Maybe there's someone here who has backslidden. You've lost the spiritual fire. I don't know. It starts with little things. And then gradually you start to drift away. Maybe today is the day to surrender your life to Jesus. Lord, help me to come back to you. See, don't turn back because it will get you and me nowhere. There will be many temptations along the way to want us to look back. And at such times, you keep looking at Jesus. Instead, ask the Lord to help you Trust him and follow him. Don't turn back. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. I pray this morning that you bless us in this word, that Christ will be formed in our lives continuously. Oh Lord, this is a work that only you can do. I pray this morning that there's someone who has backslidden, has drifted away from you and the things of you. Has lost their fire and the passion for Jesus. May today be a day of surrender for such a person. I pray for those who do not know Christ. 
that this morning they will know God, the true God in their lives. And I pray for those of us who know you, Lord, that we will pray that Christ will continuously be formed in us and not look back. Don't turn back, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.